Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The lesson, the Old Testament lesson is from Genesis, the first three chapters. We're beginning the first chapter at the ninth verse. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Chapter 2. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Chapter 3. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. 
She also gave some to the man who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God as God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Gospel reading is from Matthew 3 beginning at the seventh verse. These are the words of John the Baptist. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. From Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 25. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, and you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry, impurity, or excuse me, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step 
with the Spirit. And from Revelations 2, verses 7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To those who are victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And staying with uh, Revelations chapter 22, uh, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down at the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I believe I was in fifth grade when we as a class were required to memorize Joyce Kilmer's poem entitled Trees. I have no idea why that poem was chosen, maybe because I attended a Christian school and our Christian teacher appreciated kind of its religious tone, or maybe because some years later I could actually use it as a beginning sermon illustration, but who knows. So with the help of the printed page instead of my memory, this is Trees by Joyce Kilmer. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree, a tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet flowing breast, a tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray, a tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair, upon whose bosom snow has lain who intimately lives with rain. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. And speaking of trees, who of us is not familiar with the delightful poetry of Shel Silverstein, The Giving Tree? This summer at WCF, we are into trees and fruit and a worship sermon series entitled, Not Far From the Tree. Most of us at some time or other have been told that we, or we ourselves in observing a parent-child relationship have quipped that apple has not fallen far from the tree, meaning, of course, or at least implying that the parental genes are alive and well in their offspring. Such observations, of course, can be complementary or not so much. At any rate, there seems to be an obvious connection between son, daughter, and their father, mother. Back in the day when I was teaching and after concluding those semester-ending parent-teacher conferences, we teachers would look at each other and exclaim, 
wow, it's amazing how parents act so much like their children. This summer's theme, Not Far From The Tree, is referencing the Apostle Paul's words shared with churches he had started in Galatia, located in Asia Minor. More specifically, we call them the fruit of the Spirit, already read for us this morning from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Not far from the tree implies both fruit and tree. I've asked Aaron Reinheimer, who grew up in this congregation and is a recent graduate of Eastern Mennonite University, to team with me this morning in offering a brief, very brief, biblical overview of the concept of tree and fruit. I'll focus on tree, Aaron will focus on fruit. Then we'll have some very brief interaction following our respective sharing. We return, as it were, at the beginning of this series. As it seems for most biblical themes and current issues today, to the book of beginnings, to Genesis and the creation story. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Only two of those trees are named, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Both trees are in the midst of the garden, displayed prominently and easily accessible to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. But there appears to be strings attached. Actually, there is only one string attached, only one stipulation by God. You are free to eat from any tree, but you must not eat fruit from the second tree named the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day when you eat from it, you shall surely die. Death here characterized by shame, guilt, and expulsion. When we read these words, we expect a kind of setup for a plot, suggests Douglas Taylor Weiss, Anglican rector from Auburn, New York. Why is it God commands humans not to eat the fruit? Why? We notice that God's creation of the trees involves two qualities. The first one, the trees were pleasant to the eyes. They were beautiful. And secondly, trees were good for food. Their fruit was good for eating. As the Genesis story unfolds, Satan reverses God's order by tempting Eve to concentrate first on the food and beauty second. God had given, we are told, every tree in the garden for food except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree apparently was good only for its beauty, not for its food. Eve was deceived. It was not wise to set aside beauty for food. Beauty comes first. Any animal can eat, but only we humans can adore. Yes, beauty is built into the fabric of the universe for God's created beings, that's you and me, us, but we can only achieve that destiny, our destiny, if before we take, we adore the giver and the gifts. Fruit from the tree of life is an antidote to death. After Adam and Eve fail their test, human beings are banned from the tree of life. This is a good thing, Taylor Weiss asserts, since unending consumption without adoration is more or less a definition of hell. Interestingly, 
trees continue to play a significant role in the biblical story as some 30 different kinds of trees are identified. There are fig trees, the first species mentioned by name in the Bible, leaves from which the first couple covered their nakedness after their disobedience. There are sycamore trees. Remember, Zacchaeus climbed up into one of them to see Jesus. There are cedars of Lebanon, mostly destroyed today, but used back then to build the temple. And of special interest is the grapevine, not exactly a tree, yet functioning as one when Jesus tells his followers, I am the vine, you are the branches, my father is the gardener. One could make the case that the message of the entire Bible can be summed up in the story of three trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, and the tree of Calvary. As long as Adam and Eve obeyed God's one and only law, they would live in continual fellowship with God. Refusing to eat from this tree meant they would need to be in constant dependence upon God. God has a knowledge of good and evil, of right and wrong. They didn't. By eating this fruit, they became independent, separated from God. In essence, then, every member of the human race, that's you and me, has eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you and I live independently of God, it proves that we have done exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. When we arrive at the Bible's, at the Bible's final chapter, we read of a new city where, in the middle of the street, singular, and on either side of the river is the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. God's beautiful tree of life reappears at history's end to heal us with its beauty and to bestow the fruit of the Spirit upon all. Sin, the curse, alienation, and death are no more, and they are no more because of the third tree, the tree of Calvary. It's much more than coincidence that the cross of Jesus Christ is sometimes referred to in the New Testament as a tree such as Peter's proclamation in Acts 10. We are witnesses of everything Jesus did in both Judea and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. Or Paul in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil became a litmus test of obedience for Eve and Adam. But another tree was introduced into human history, the tree of Calvary upon which Jesus died, so that all may have access now to the eternal tree of life. Sin to righteousness, curse to healing, alienation to reconciliation, death to life. Thanks be to God. As Pastor Dell mentioned, fruit and trees are not far from each other, so this is going to be a slightly different take on many of the same scriptures. Fruit of a tree is an essential aspect of its life and health, and it's also used as an important symbol throughout the Bible. 
In the modern Christian context, we often think of the creation story, which Pastor Dell just talked about, where Adam and Eve eat the only forbidden fruit in the whole Garden of Eden. But fruit is much more complex than that. In the Old Testament context, we have what are traditionally known as the seven biblical fruits. Wheat, barley, grapes for wine, figs, pomegranates, olives for oil, and dates for honey. While not all of these would technically fit in the fruit sector of our food pyramid, these crops were the staples of agriculture in ancient and modern Israel and Palestine. They make up the majority of the diet and economy, and Israelites were required by the law of Moses to give the first of all of these harvests as an offering to the Lord. The Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot, is the Jewish celebration that includes the ceremony of first fruits. This is when farmers could begin to bring the first fruits of their harvest to the temple in Jerusalem. This offering to the Lord was a time of thanksgiving and celebration for how the Lord had, how the Lord had provided. In that vein, fruit was often seen as a sign of the Lord's favor. The Israelites saw a good harvest as a reward for following the law. God says in Leviticus 26, if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Fruit has also been symbolic and poetic. Think of the luscious love poetry of Song of Solomon, often referencing fruit. Hear, the writer, hear what the writer of Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Similarly, Jesus used this idea of fruit as a metaphor for a person's life. As a member of this Jewish agrarian society, he chose this daily commodity to teach his disciples and use fruit as a symbol of identity, saying often, each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Many times throughout the Gospels, we receive this same message. A good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit. You can't pick grapes from thorn bushes and you can't pick figs from thistles. However, we are not actual trees. So what then is our fruit? Several places throughout the New Testament give lists of attributes that Christians should possess. The most common is the one that we have been mentioning this morning in Galatians, where Paul lays out what we know of as the fruit of the Spirit. After naming the attributes of those who are living by the flesh and will not inherit the kingdom of God, Paul writes, and I'll read it again, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no such law. These fruits are nine visible attributes of a true Christian life. However, they are fruit of the Spirit, singular, rather than fruits of the Spirit, plural. What does that mean? That they make up one ninefold fruit. We are all naturally gifted in one or two of these areas. For example, maybe love and kindness come easily to you. However, none of us are naturally gifted in all of these areas. That is why it is fruit of the spirit, not of our flesh, not of ourselves, and not of our willpower. Also, these are not necessarily specific actions. 
Note that speaking in tongues and prophesying are not on the list. The fruit of the Spirit is more about who we are, not what we do. They produce in us a character that more closely matches that of our Savior, Jesus. They are a symbol of our identity, just as Jesus talked about. People will recognize these qualities in our very nature, at our very core, and see that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. However, you cannot have these things by yourself. They manifest themselves in relationship with others. You have to have another person to be good to or to be gentle with. The church body then is like an orchard, and we are like the trees, with God as our gardener. What does all of this mean practically? That's what we will be looking at, examining, and asking throughout this series as we delve into each of the fruits of the Spirit. As we do so, I encourage you to keep in mind that when a tree isn't producing fruit, there is always an underlying cause. A tree stops bearing fruit when the roots have become separated from the water and nutrients that it needs, or when something like a bug begins eating away at it from the inside out. The issue is at the core of the tree. Similarly, when we realize that we are lacking in fruit, it is silly to believe that we can fix the problem without going to our own roots. Say a person realizes he or she has a severe lack of patience. Simply practicing having patience is kind of like taping a plastic apple to a tree that isn't bearing any fruit. It isn't dealing with the core of the issue. Rather, these vain attempts will suck the last of our energy and leave us frustrated. A tree is only healthy and able to produce when it is rooted in rich, nutritious soil. In the same way, we can only produce our Christian fruit when we are rooted in Christ. Thus, we are reminded of Jesus' commandment and promise from John 15, which Pastor Dell mentioned earlier, and I will now read. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Amen. As Aaron and I were preparing for this message um, through email, uh, we did not have a chance to sit down because of our schedules, but it was really enjoyable to go back and forth with her in terms of her thoughts, my thoughts, and we decided that we would uh, kind of live outside our comfort zone and ask each other some questions, although we gave an indication that we might uh, give a little clue what the questions might be, but this is completely unrehearsed, spontaneous as a way for us to interact with each other and for you to interact with these two themes of tree and fruit. Uh, Aaron, you mentioned uh, the, the nine fruit from Galatians. My, my sense is that Paul does this uh, representative list of fruit not exhausted, just like he does the gifts of the Spirit. So uh, even though there might be nine fruit in the Galatians passage, what, are, what might be some other fruit that kind of surfaces throughout the New Testament or throughout the biblical story? Uh, in Second Peter, we also read about moral excellence, knowledge, and forgiveness. Um, Colossians adds compassion, humility, and godliness. 
And then in 1 Corinthians 13, we obviously learn about the characteristics of love which we are to portray, and that includes selflessness, trust, and not being easily angered. Those are just some other examples. I like your image of, of taping on a plastic apple, and not getting to the core of the issue. I also like your pun with that as well. Um, but can you say more about if, if we think we possess only one or two fruit, and we have all this, these other things or attributes, how do, we, uh, how do we work at that, or how do we accept the fact that we may not have them, or how do we develop fruit of the Spirit in a way that is evident of our Christian walk in life? Yeah. Um, I think, as I tried to emphasize it being fruit of the Spirit and not of ourselves, I, when we are rooted in that soil, we can rely on the Spirit to continually be at work in our lives, and um, the idea of God the Father as the gardener is um, this image of him pruning us and what does it mean to be pruned when you're not a tree? Um, that's kind of a hard question to answer, but I think God guides our growth and leads us to where we will be most fruitful and have the opportunity to develop those fruits. I did tell Erin, since I have a chance to uh, be in the pulpit more often than she does, maybe I should ask her all the questions, but it's probably not fair for me not to get a question or two from you, Erin, so if it's not too hard, what, mm -hmm. what question might you have for me? Yeah, um, well, in the Sermon of the Mount, um, Jesus claims that every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, um, and that seems pretty black and white, and there's not a whole lot of it doesn't seem like there is much of the message of grace and mercy that we hear other places from Jesus. So where where is the mercy and grace with the axe already being at the base of the tree? Yeah. Well, I think as you alluded to, uh, Aaron, the, the concept, the ideas of fruit and tree are really complex, and we can't in 15 minutes or even in six sermons kind of unpack the complexity of fruit and tree. It, 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 appeared, it feels to me from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus was really trying to make a case, a very a poignant case, that uh, if you don't bear good fruit, you will be cut down, uh, which, like you said, doesn't feel like it's much grace or mercy there. I think uh, my take on that is that Jesus was making a point, but in the larger context, is that Jesus, with redemption and grace and forgiveness, does offer us a second, third, fourth, and fifth chance, but there is it's an interesting connection there, you know, good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. Well, we could go on and on. Aaron, thank you on behalf of this congregation for joining me in this experience. I invite us to a moment of prayer as we uh, conclude this part of our worship service. Thank you, God, for the gifts of Aaron, for her commitment to and willingness to share in this way today. Bless us as a congregation as we um, go through this series. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit and to what it means to bear fruit of the spirit every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.